0: This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of this land, and we pay our respects to their elders, past and present.
1: Ah, that this too too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God. Good. How weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seem to me all the uses of this world. Fire on! now, fie. "'Tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. "'Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. "'But it should come to this, but two months dead, "'not so much, not two, so excellent a king "'that was to this Hyperion, to a satyr, "'so loving to my mother that he might not beteem "'the winds of heaven visit her face too roughly. "'Heaven and earth must I remember why she would hang on him as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on, and yet within a month, let me not think on frailty, thy name is woman, a little month, or ere those shoes were old with which she followed my poor father's body like niobe, all tears why she, even she, ah God, a beast that once discourse of reason would have mourned longer, married with my uncle, Mm -hmm. my father's brother, but no more like my father than I to Hercules. Within a month, ere yet the soul of most unrighteous tears had left the flushing in her galled eyes, she married. Ah, most wicked speed to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets, it is not, nor it cannot come to good, but break my heart for I must hold my tongue.
0: Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was Hamlet's first soliloquy read by our guest this week. He's an award-winning actor, playwright, and director. For Bell Shakespeare, he played Benedict in John Bell's 2011 production of Much Ado About Nothing. His other theatre credits include Measure for Measure, Reuben Guthrie and Hamlet for Belvoir, and The Present for the Sydney Theatre Company, which transferred to Broadway in 2017. On screen, he's appeared in the HBO miniseries The Pacific, as well as starring as pirate Jack Rackham in the Starz TV series Black Sails. His writing credits include Chicks Will Dig You, Capture the Flag and Lucky, for which he won the Patrick White Award. He most recently co-directed and starred in Tom Payne, a live-streamed theatre experience for Redline Productions. It's my great pleasure to welcome Toby Schmitz. Toby, welcome to Speak the Speech.
1: Jimmy Evans, Jimmy Evans. (laughs) Hello. How lovely to see you.
0: So pleased to have you here, Toby. Let's talk about Hamlet. I know this is your favourite topic in the whole world to talk about. Where is he here and what's going on?
1: It's not only his first soliloquy, it's the first time the audience has seen him and there's been... Nice amount of dramatic irony set up by Will. We've seen a ghost. We've been up on the parapets of a castle. And what, what's most wonderful, really, about Hamlet is we know the entire plot already because it's Hamlet. Uh, so there's, we're already sort of preloaded, and he hasn't said much um, as he has watched his uncle uh, give a sort of post-wedding speech. He's copped bad news about not being allowed to get out of there and get back to uni. Uh... And uh, it's so interesting, his first you know, few lines, his little bit of sparring with, with Claudius and his mother, are quite um, delicate little lines, aren't they? Mm, mm. Uh, too much mm. in the sun and more kin than kind and so on. they do not really, they're hard to make them land and stick. It's so yeah. interesting reading about the history of what people have actually done with that line. But when he is left alone and concerned to the audience and chat to them, he lets rip and many mm. of the big themes of the play are established pretty fast. Generational problems, stuff yeah. about mum, uh, a, a, a dangerous um, ability to, to, to blame females for, for things, mm. decay, uh, revenge, and, and the supernatural haven't come into it yet, but in a way the audience know that's coming and are watching, coming, yeah. watching someone prep for, to, to be a revenger.
0: Mm. I also feel like Hamlet in this speech is testing the boundaries of language itself. You know, I love this line, how weary, stale, flat and unprofitable. There's four different adjectives there. It's almost like he can't quite entirely describe the world. He keeps reaching for a new word and a new
1: word. That's right. And the audience is being trained in a way uh, how to listen to an incredible mind and Mm. although the other soliloquies are kind of just as incredible and and dense there's something particularly staccato about this one a lot Mm. of half thoughts that keep breaking right the the repetitions of month and married and the repetition of okay brain stop thinking about this but here's another image anyway Mm. and i i've always adored it I, i would have chosen what a piece of work is Man, if Leon hadn't, who <laughs> did an incredible job with it. I had no idea. I had no idea he could act. Uh, but, but you know. But that's the easy one, isn't it? I thought I'd go for a bit of verse and sort of flex. Uh, but I, I tend to think in half thoughts anyway. That for, I don't really speak in paragraphs. And some, and I've always dug that soliloquy. In fact, use it for my um, my warm up when doing any other other play because there's so much pivoting going on.
0: Yeah, well, it's almost like he doesn't actually get to the... What, what does he want to tell us? He wants to tell us, she married with my uncle. But that's 20 lines in. It's almost like all of these memories and thoughts have to keep bombarding him until he can actually get out the line, uh, yeah. you know, the substance of the speech itself. That's
1: it. Somewhere in the heart of it, and the, what is it? The heart of it can change, of course, nightly or halfway through performing right. it. But mm. somewhere at what he's trying to drive to, I think, is she really loved him mm. or I thought she really did. Mm -hmm. was that an act Mm. somewhere in there is is she'd hang on him to me and he loved her and within a month what's what does time even mean could even be at the heart of what he's trying to get to ineffectively i've always wondered as well and the the two times i've done it i've always thought that horatio's entrance and i'm sure it's been done before could and maybe should be what makes him shut up and not get to a, a, a larger point, break right. my heart, for I must hold my tongue.
0: Oh, so you think Horatio should come in just before the end of this? Yeah, solitude? well, he's on yeah. his way, you know, yeah. it's, it's the next mm-hmm.
1: next thing we see. And, and mm-hmm. th- therefore you could get even, even more dramatic tension out of, oh, was Hamlet about to summarise something we didn't quite yeah. get to? I don't know.
0: Okay, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, because the other alternative um, interpretation of Hold My Tongue is that also sets up something about Hamlet in which, you know, he's got all of these conflicting thoughts but he just can't quite act on them.
1: That's right. And, and maybe even, even a slightly more conservative um, version of that is that he's a prince. Mm. He's mm. the, you know, most observed of all observers and you can't mm. just walk around Elsinore being this angry. It's the same reason right. why he says that he'll obey his, his mother and not go... To, to Wittenberg, he's a prince. You do do these things. And the, one of the great mighty opposites, I think, of Hamlet is that the audience sits there going, I have these feelings mm. and yet I have never been and will never be a prince in a <laughs> Danish <laughs> Danish medieval castle. That's right. Yeah.
0: Now, that first line, um, solid flesh, there's obviously another version, sallied flesh, and then some editor one day came up with sullied flesh. What's your uh, take on that? What, I, what's the I, right word there?
1: I don't know. I've thought a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, very early on, solid comes into the, the picture. I think mm-hmm. even by the restoration, uh, Betterton's having a crack at solid. Right. I, I, I fought for sullied uh, when I did it the first time with um, David Berthold at Le Bois, mm-hmm. so, uh, mm-hmm. suggesting that it s- sets up the images of decay Yes. Earlier. yes. Mm-hmm. And his argument, and he's, um, he, he's no slight Hamlet scholar by the way, he, he knows the thing backwards no and all mm-hmm. the commentary, um, he made an argument for solid saying I hear you Toby but I think there's just that bit more juice mm. in the following lines which are about things not being solid. <laughs> right, right. That there is already yeah. decay mm. in things thawing and resolving right. So why not let's start with something a little easier for everyone and say solid And I, I think he's right yeah.
0: yeah, look, I think he is from an audience point of view But I've also read a commentary that says solid is perhaps a little too simple for Shakespeare uh, Solid flesh melting, yeah, okay, we get it. it Yeah. It's a very clear and simple image
1: Um perhaps he's not too happy with having cho- hamlet having chosen such a, uh, a simple word to begin with mm-hmm. hence his extrapolation and and fury uh, at his own, his own brain's ability for the rest of the play why not why not why not start with something just two syllables of simple you know
0: that's right that's right um toby one of your great areas of expertise is understanding and knowing the whole breadth of history of of hamlet how it's been played over the centuries how does having that knowledge in your head affect the way that you approach this role isn't that too overwhelming
1: I think that the, not knowing the full breadth of history is completely you're right, but I think it's a relatively recent habit mm. of not being obsessively scholarly about it. Yes, I'm a Hamlet nut, and the great thing about being a Hamlet. Nutt or Boffin, is that many have come before you. So it's quite easy to stand mm. on the shoulders of a lot of research. By mm. the, I mean, there's even wonderful little scraps of how we know Burbage played it. By the, by the time of the Restoration, and definitely by the beginning of the 1800s, no, late mm. 1700s, so, it, this play is so famous. It's a, hit. Mm. it's a hit to begin with. Four years yeah. after it, it premiered, it's being performed on a ship in, off Sierra Leone just for, yeah, to right. distract the crew. You know. This thing mm. is a hit. So by that period, there's a lot being written about it. Down to what words people were stressing, the first mm. actor to ever actually be quite kind to RNG, we know. That soliloquy, for example, we know that for a good couple of hundred years after Burbage, actors and productions could not bring themselves to utter the incestuous sheet Lines. It right, was too, Yes. Too, not because mm. of sexiness, really, but yeah. because of its cruelty to his mother, it just did not fit mm. um, the, the world. nobility so,
0: of Hamlet. That's yeah.
1: right. Mm. That says mm. something not just about the productions, but the world at large at that time, mm. holding a mirror up to what people could actually handle. Mm. Um, so, mm. so there's a lot has been written about it, and you can go as deep as you want. When Irving was doing doing it a, in a, his famously long run. Um, uh, in the 1800s, late 1800s, one of the one of the critics said you could feel the audience, both in the stalls and the box, love him for having done his work. Wow! That every choice he made was in response to all the Hamlets that have come before. I mm. happen to find it really fun too. Mm. And and once you get into that kind of stuff, then you realise there's no choice you can make really that probably hasn't been done. Before, right. um, even if you can't find a record of it, you start to suspect. Okay, this this ground has been been walked. Tiny <laughs> example. When I mean, Betterton in, in in the restoration made a big deal about exactly how. You know, straight and high up. You should you should hold your arms out to when when he sees yes. his de- dead father, right. and that becomes a sort of a b- bit of business. And with the, f- the actors after him that chose not to do it, it's a, it's a large commentary. I f- I found that out after the first time I I played it, and mm. my arms instinctually went out to my father, <laughs> not on n- not on first seeing him. <laughs> But when Mm. he leaves, Mm. as as a Mm. sense of, oh, Dad, Mm. please don't go again, you know. It's so interesting how these things are actually naturally in us. I don't find it overwhelming because I find the doing of the play, Mm. uh, the play being the thing, you can't be on stage thinking, oh, well, Edmund Keane... <laughs> no, it was was a, was a little nicer to Rosencrantz, but not so to Guildenstern. It doesn't yeah. really. It, there's no room in your brain for that. That's for rehearsal. And I just yeah. happen to get get off on that stuff. I think that all that academia, that all that study of Hamlet, mm. is really just the acme of all the study that has been done about Shakespeare, because yeah. it is his best play it has everything. Yeah. In it, and so by pulling that stuff apart, you don't just learn about how you might do a Hamlet or how others have done it. What you are doing is being a historian and looking at the taste of the time mm. and the psychology mm. of people in the time, mm. and it's also about mapping a, a history of naturalism. Yeah, yep. Which our tendency mm-hmm. is to to think, oh, but the, you know, they, they did a lot of canting and toning back then, and mm. and to some ex- some extent, it's true. But by following the history of the greats. From Burbage onwards, and, and what's been written about them, it becomes very clear that naturalism mm. is on the cards to begin with. What yeah. was what was natural uh, in in seventeen fifteen and eighteen fifteen and nineteen fifteen? Well, what we can assume is that it is in response to your contemporaries of what has come before you. And yeah. every great Hamlet, and indeed every great Shakespearean actor, has found a new way to make it real. Mm. In 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 Burbage's eulogy, there's. Tantalizing little scraps that point to him being so real in his role that he amazed right. the spectators and, in fact, made the rest of his cast sad every time he performed. Every it. time does. he did it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and if you were to just intone and cant every line of Shakespeare, they walk out. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Even
0: during Shakespeare's time, right? Of course they would. Of course yeah. they would. That's right. And so then, is, uh, and um, we haven't mentioned this before, the title of this podcast, Speak the Speech. Uh, is that speech then Shakespeare's introduction of naturalism? Is that him saying, this is now how we act?
1: It's a very interesting question. I think that that Hamlet's advice to the players, firstly, it's often cut. Mm. Um, it was cut for hundreds of years. And then when it was put back in, it was always, when the greats did it, you can, you can chart the history of that advice in what different actors did with it. Did they come on walking backwards? How familial is Hamlet with these players? How much of a prince is, is he an amateur actor? Is Mm. he an amateur director? Mm. Or is he a genius actor? I like to think (laughs) he's a genius actor and an amateur director. Right. That, that, I don't know. Uh, not only, listener, did uh, James and I attend the same drama school. We went to the the same school together in Perth. Did you ever get that <laughs> advice to the players handed to you as a kind of template for? Absolutely. And, yeah. Yes, I
0: did. I'm sure I, I
1: did. Yeah. I didn't like receiving it then, and I don't like receiving it now. I don't mind doing it, <laughs> but I think by the time you get to the end of the list, you're like, wait a minute. If you did all of that, you wouldn't do anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. I don't yeah, Laertes- not too much, not too little. But, yeah, yeah,
1: and very and very much like Polonius's um, list of advice to mm. to Laertes, is that if you played it all for a gag of someone who can't stop giving advice, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it it becomes boring. You can't just yeah. have Ophelia and, and Laertes rolling their eyes at that entire yes. list. Yes. and yet mm-hmm. if you make every single one of those bits of advice. Ring true, that gets its own kind of laborious sort of right. quality. It's mm. some balance between artifice and, and nature. And I, I like to think that in some portrayal of um, advice to the players, Hamlet himself might run out of steam. Towards mm. the end, actually, yeah. I'm banging right. on here. Yeah, that's I right. Yeah. You, you do what you do. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. What I'm really doing is is fanboying over you. Guys. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Although yeah. he
0: seems to be quite good as well when he takes up the uh, takes up the speech yeah. um, that yeah. that twelve lines. Uh, yeah, everyone's pretty pretty surprised at <laughs> how good right. he is.
1: Yeah, I think it's Macready who's doing it. I don't know mid 1800s uh, something like that. Mm. Who 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 says, oh, tis, tis not so, it begins this way, Ragupiris, or whatever it is, where, where yeah. Hamlet checks himself, you know, and, right. and makes a mistake. Mm-hmm. Yes. Apparently he did it so naturalistically that they, um, the, the critics couldn't quite handle it. They said, that's right. too far, because it looks like you truly forgot your that line. You
0: actually dropped a line. Wow, isn't that, that's isn't amazing. Isn't that
1: fun? That's brilliant. It reminds me of when, um, uh, it's Garrick, David Garrick, who really sounds like the first one to start investigating what naturalism could could mean, at least the mm. commentary seems to suggest so. Apparently when he was playing the the first murderer in Maca, and said, uh, there's blood upon thy face, mm. the other actors said, oh, is there, by God? So <laughs> naturalistic. like. And so you, you, see, you, can, you can chart the journey of how acting evolves through the study mm. of these things too, which is fascinating to an actor. Fantastic, because yeah, right. it's
0: the same role, same words over the last 400 years.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: You know, audiences love and you and i've talked about this a bit they love something original they love the thrill of an original take on something but the word original uh, also initially meant i do it like the original like burbage I, i i've got the performance that he did and i'm recreating it so what's the balance between recreating the great performances of the past and coming up with something entirely new
1: That is the question. Mm. The readiness is all. (laughs) I think that is the grand balance. And even in in tracking the history of criticism of the play, and Mm. criticism of theatre these days means a certain thing, but there's a big chunk in history where you'd get 30 crits for doing a Hamlet when acting and theatre was a venerated Mm. and important industry. Mm. And so you can really chart um, um, what people felt about that, the innovation versus whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's there's people saying he doesn't knock the chair over in the closet scene like Betterton, and to my taste, that is a crime. Right, yes. Yeah. And didn't you say there were riots once? Where, where yeah, <laughs> that's right. There's a couple of rival Hamlets going on. I think it's in New York, and, like, there's some bit of business where they just can't can't handle it. Edmund Keane, who sounds like another delicious um, adventurer into the world of being realer and realer, did some amazing... Uh, uh, innovative stuff he's one of the first to really treat rng as good chums and to be happy mm. to to see them and mm. yet his his kissing of ophelia's hand on leaving the nunnery scene mm. is really just too much for people right they just no it does that makes no sense of the scene but what you feel is keen going no, i'm trying to make sense of the scene. Mm. Mm. Uh, he does have love for her and his mind's a, a, a whirling dervish and the crowd loved it and it's nearly standard practice for at some point in in the nunnery scene now for Hamlet to touch Ophelia in such a way that says I'm sorry and I still love you, get away from me.
0: You know what, you know. I, and that is one thing I particularly loved in your production at Belvoir, the relationship between Hamlet and Ophelia, I loved um, the, the, the comfort and love that Hamlet felt when she was around and um, I think that's something you particularly worked on because sometimes Hamlet can be very cruel and cold towards her. But, but your Hamlet wasn't that much.
1: I think it's something that has to be solved and worked on by the production. Mm. Of course, what you, how you cut Hamlet is really the first big question. It's yes, why these days it really is a director's Hamlet before the actor's, I think. Someone's no. got to do all that work, cut it, solve things and one of them is what do we do about ophelia and the pre-relationship mm. and the cruelty that she suffers in the play let alone her mad scene where everyone just has to stand around and watch her going mad mm. uh, um, mm. one of the solves in in this in the in the belvoir production was that by nixing RNG, Rosagrand, Guildenstern and Horatio and making them one sort of person which is not that radical, you know Irving cut RNG, I've Mm. always wanted to cut Horatio Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, is is that we started, actually the play started, well the play actually started with me sitting on stage looking at my dead father as the audience came in Mm. but the first scene was Ophelia simply with her head on my lap and we took just a few lines to horatio fantastic those gorgeous lines about he was a man take him Mm. for Mm. all i shall not look upon his like again which like kemble i think kemble a very restrained but one of the first great hamlets of the 1800s was the first to let his voice crack and cry on that line Mm. which Mm. i always thought was amazing to find out because i can't stop myself cracking on that line right. he's a man he's just a man you may think of him as a king mm. and i think it and i think it direct, directly is linked to what a piece of work is man or a man and I, I, I really enjoyed listening you talk with with 40 about that piece and also about how one is always searching if it even exists for a pre-hamlet a yeah. pre-death yeah. of Father Hamlet. That's
0: right, At, yeah. Who was he? What was the good time
1: Hamlet? I, I know, kind of like Ophelia's List. Can he be, can really be all those things, mm. you know? Mm. And a good sword fighter? Mm. Um, mm. I, I think there's... A, I, I've always just felt, rather than known, that there's something in the piece of work speech that is pre-Hamlet. And I don't think it must necessarily be so that mm. he was a, a party boy or that his melancholia... Is newly arrived. Mm, I've mm. always suspected that that could could have been part of his makeup mm, from mm. five, as he's banging around this cold, <laughs> scandal yeah. castle. You know,
0: and then Hamlet's madness and. And this is another thing I just loved about your performance. You, when you delivered that line, do you see nothing there? Do you remember that yeah. in the closet scene? <laughs> it's so horrible. It, it, it was it was absolutely yeah. heartbreaking because y- usually you see Hamlet kind of saying to his mum, come on, mum, you know, there he is. But for you, the the way you did it was, I actually do see something and that must yeah. mean that I am genuinely mad. It was a heartbreaking moment.
1: That's right. And by cutting the parapet scene at the beginning and, and Simon Stone at the choice to weight it heavily in in love for father and deep the madness of grief mm. it, it means that hamlet wondering if he's losing his mind is there present from the first soliloquy yeah. he's telling himself what i've got to stop thinking i've got to stop my brain somehow and he can't about my brains you know mm. so yeah I, I can't remember who it was i think it's irving is the first to to break um, do you see nothing? And there, do you see nothing? There. Oh yeah. You know, you can yeah. you can actually get a double whammy on yeah. that if yeah. You, yeah. If, you, right. if you're bold enough to bust that line in half. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, you mentioned that at the start of the play, you were already on stage as the audience is coming in and in in a state of distress, and your father is there. How do you prepare to? climb that mountain every night. What, what is that process before you step on stage, Toby?
1: Well, the great thing about being in there for 20, 30 minutes mm. and not backstage um, making gags <coughs> <Yeah. you> know, <laughs> uh, with Nathan Lovejoy is that it's quite a meditative process. Mm. Also, I, find, I found the doing of Hamlet always more energising than innovating. Mm. So I was always pretty tired by having to jump in the grave. Um, yep. I think there's a long history of that, but I, I, I'd be up for hours afterwards and 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 itching to do it again. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so my prep I felt was always in making sure I'd had a good meal, warming up my body mm. um, and and the and the months of rehearsal, indeed, years of, of prep. That, that yeah. was my prep. What was wonderful about sitting there on stage as the audience came in was I was listening to, to a, a wonderful pianist play Eric Satie. Oh, yes, like yes. Yeah. My, my favourite, yeah. saddest piece of music in the world. Right, yeah. um, and, and looking at beautiful, stoic Anthony Phelan in a soft light and just imagining myself in a kind of, I don't know, like you might have to at Buckingham Palace or something, if you, if you will, or Harry, mm. at big events. you just there, rock up half an hour early, there's a couple of caterers walking through, and you just sit there. Mm. And mm. I p- happen to be sitting there thinking, I must stop feeling sad about Dad. Mm. This happens. Claudius is right, death of fathers. Mm. We should all just mm. get on with it. And then letting my eyes see Anthony sitting there. It was doing all the work. And yes, I started that Hamlet. In a heightened state yeah. of of grief and yes. some mental instability, and I'm not the first to have done so, mm-hmm. and I'm not, and and many others have started com- somewhere completely else, but that was definitely the choice of that production. So my prep was simply to sit and think, mm. which was kind of nice. Yeah.
0: And for you, it's all about immersion in the circumstances of the play and the actors around you. You're you're not an actor who delves and taps into something personal. Is that right?
1: I think that's right. I definitely tried to imagine loved ones passing away. I think it speaks to the fact that I haven't had too much tragedy in my life, Mm. but I don't find it as helpful as as imagining that yes. other actor over yep. there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not not happening. I mean, in a certain way, maybe that you know, there's better acting ar- around the corner if one takes that choice. But or do you end up doing a Day Lewis and seeing your, your real father one night on stage? Yeah, fl- I think that, and, that, and yeah, fleeing the dangerous. industry. Yeah,
0: that, that's right. I, I think it could da- be quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah.
1: D- dangerous for some. Mm. I think you know. Mm. Um, um, yeah, that's it. I think there's a way in. F- for different people, there's different ways in and I think they all have a l- large overlap mm, you know, mm, mm. It's, they're not radically different ways in, they are yeah. still using um, the mind and, and a sort of psychological uh, re- psychologically realistic response to fluid events
0: You're listening to Speak the Speech the podcast from Bell Shakespeare my guest today is Toby Schmitz now, Toby, Shakespeare has been a part of your life for probably as long as you can remember. Can you reach back and find that first moment when you encountered Shakespeare, when
1: that light went on for you? I can reach up. Mm-hmm. It was on the, on the higher shelf. Uh, <laughs> I remember being... I can't really date it. I, I remember being enthralled by the signet editions with those beautiful Milton Glaser um, illustrations, early 60s. And as a side note, I think they're still my favourite. Printed on cheap paper. Mm. But for the really, yeah. Oh, that looks so sexy sticking out of the back pocket. <laughs> can't, can't do that with the Arden. No. <laughs> I was aware that it was an important play. It's, it's somehow already in your, in your psyche that it is. Uh, I, I, I grew up with, the ham, uh, with, with Burton's later Hamlet on vinyl in the background at my grandmother's. I became quite obsessed by it. Mm i think at the same time i was growing up with my in my head with the world of stoppard's rng are dead mm. which opened another door to it and interestingly a kind of more accessible door yep. to a child you can sort of get your head around the dead in a, in a box speech mm. <laughs> at that age <laughs> yeah. um so uh, around then it not only did was my first um start uh, experience with uh, Shakespeare, but but Hamlet really kicked it off. I, I you know I remember seeing the Zeffirelli R and J at school mm-hmm. and loving it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. We would have had exactly the same experience at our, our school English lit teachers and our and our, um, and our, our lovely um, drama teacher, yeah. much beleaguered, chain smoking, rather grad, <laughs> Margaret, <laughs> Anne, Anne. Anne- <laughs> Margaret yeah. um, um, you know, introducing us to to the idea of just doing a scene. What if we just do a bit from one of them you know it's not till uh i w- i think i did some sir toby or something you know yeah look um, i remember that it, yeah. it was
0: at school and you were in a shakespeare competition and you did yeah. some you did a bit of 12th night singing and i think That's you won the shakespeare contest um do yeah you
1: i do i remember it being we just decided to fix on the comics mm. you know what i mean like, let's not try and do a hamlet <laughs> like Let's get Groomio out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's honestly make some sight gags. Mm. Uh, mm. And I, I, held on to that. I remember mm. kind of looking at the night auditions, going, "I'm not doing
0: Hamlet." Yeah,
1: I said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do Trinculo." Oh great! Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? yeah. yeah. So <laughs> my first time I was in in in, in a full length production was opposite your Caliban, at uh, University Dramatic Society in in Perth, uh, heady days.
0: Was that your first full length Shakespeare?
1: Yeah. Wow.
0: Um, now, I have great bored. memories of that production. Um, I'm not yeah. sure what I did as Caliban. That was, um, <laughs> that was probably pretty dodgy. But, um, but your triculo, um, trembling under the blanket, I, I, I think is one of my, my favourite moments.
1: Psychos, so you were under there with me. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I mean. That's what we did. We just trembled under a blanket together. Psychos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I remember just just insisting on wearing a life jacket for the entire play. I think that was my main character. Sure. sure.
0: (laughs) And then, uh, you know, Mm. Toby, now you obviously did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead famously for the Sydney Theatre Mm. Company um, Mm. with our dear mate uh, Tim Minchin. But, uh, you know, at uni, Toby, uh, we were supposed to be in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead together. I played Guildenstern, you were supposed to play Rosencrantz and then all of a sudden... You got demoted uh, to Hamlet and, um, yeah. you know... James
1: that- James is saying like, that as if <laughs> it's a grand mystery to him. It may have something to do with the fact that I was dating the director and then wasn't. Right, yes.
0: Yeah, that, so that's that, the was, way that casting was,
1: worked. That's, that's <laughs> right. I, um, I, this my first Hamlet, and I threw myself into it, I thought, no, well, I, I'm going yeah. to do Hamlet. I taped my back up to, to rid myself of my stoop. I dyed my hair blonde. <laughs> yes. I think I went and sourced my own... My own sable doublet. <laughs> you know what I did? I, I just remember that I got blue contact lenses. I thought I'm re- going to go full Larry. It, and were, go Larry on this. it was it was so
0: intense. I remember that moment <laughs> when they take you me for a sponge, my lord, and when yeah. you said sponge, the way you squeezed yeah. our shoulders, it, it, it yeah. bruised us that's, every night. It was amazing.
1: i would forgotten that. Um, and look, I, I think that was primarily my my choice to go in hard on that was I was convinced then and remain convinced. That I'll never get to do it
0: mm.
1: do you know what I mean you don't expect to be allowed to or find an opportunity not just in this country but in throughout history of being allowed to do Hamlet mm. let alone go getting a crack at the full thing mm. and I remember thinking this is it dude if you've got a few lines of Hamlet mm. you could this this is your chance to feel what that might be like because it's not going to ha- happen again
0: what was the experience like? I mean, Sydney Theatre Company, you've worked with them quite a number of times and then suddenly you're in a show with Kate Blanchett and it goes across to Broadway and suddenly you're, you're performing in New York. What was that experience like, uh, debuting on Broadway?
1: It was, a, it was a debut of many things for me. Firstly, of getting into a, a, a Chekhov. Mm. Um, uh, and then, yeah um new york new york it's a wonderful town mm-hmm. that was fab working up cl- close with kate was its own unique gift i um, k- k- kate and i had already some sense of each other because of her artistic directorship with her husband at the stc for a few years yes and they yeah. were instrumental in putting on R rng are dead <coughs> and so on so a sense of um the incredible kate blanchett uh, as as an actress and a person i had 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 some prior experience with but there was it, gosh you know i was in williamsburg catching two subways mm. to come up in times square
0: <laughs>
1: with snow on it and Amazing. walk to the theatre each night. Mm. I tell you, we did it at the Ethel Barrymore Theatre. And there was a sort of laneway, sort of slightly enclosed laneway on the way to the, the stage door, but off the street. Mm. And I'd be having cigarettes there with Chris Ryan when we weren't on stage. And the and the stage door manager, you know, who was like ancient, yeah. came out and he said, okay, guys, you know we are standing right now? When they did Streetcar here, <laughs> my my old man was had the same jab. Yeah. He'd have to come out... And you know what? Carl Malden, and uh, and Brando be standing right where you are, having <laughs> cigarettes and flicking pennies at the wall, and I have, and he has to say, "Mr. Brando, Ms., Mr. Malden, get the fuck on stage." <laughs> <laughs> that- that, that may have been the coolest thing that happened to me amazing. in New York, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. You got a chance to play Benedict, and what an amazing role. And you you were in John Bell's production in 2011 of Much Ado About Nothing. And the special thing about Benedict is his relationship with the audience. He he lives and dies by that relationship. So how did you massage that every night? How, how did you work on that relationship?
1: wonderful thing is the play massages you. The part massages you, massages you forces you mm. into go and talk to these guys. <laughs> and <laughs> and there's something so magic about that role. Our friend Josh Lawson was the first to really point me at it and go, you haven't forgot about Benedict, have you? It yeah. is the best role mm. ever. Mm. Yeah, I think that it's Orden um, who says that he just wants to sit... Th- Next to next to Benedict and Beatrice at dinner. Said, right. That's his ul- yeah. ultimate fantasy dinner guest. Yeah. The audience loves them from the get go. Mm-hmm. Will is already massaging the audience to interact with you. Yeah. Yeah. On on the flip side of the same coin, mm-hmm. and so I think after that, one simply applies the. The, the tried and true adage that a soliloquy is not talking to yourself but an opportunity to have a conversation with the audience and away we go when it comes to Benno. Uh, another great spine or tent of, of of Benedict is that being witty, not necessarily funny, mm. but often funny, is more important to him than life and death. Yeah, and these yeah. guys are soldiers. Mm, That's yeah. why when, when um, uh, uh, Claudio is is so bad at making jokes benedict mm. wants to kill him <laughs> you know right down to his incredibly racist gag at the wedding afterwards mm, um mm. and so so what we have is an incredibly witty character from 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 the brain of the the greatest writer mm. so the massaging has kind of been done you just start saying some of Benno's lines with the with the audience and magic starts happening but that also means that if you enjoy interacting with the audience which i'm rather obsessed with yes. from early days mm. in stand-up sometimes to my detriment you know doesn't doesn't work so much in an ibsen you know <laughs> sure uh, <laughs> uh, but, but in a shakespearean comedy if you like looking someone in the eyes yeah. you mm. know and you can get to be a wonderful flirt everyone loves guys and girls that love Ben because he's brave mm. he's, he's already built up as a really good soldier mm. he effortlessly drops um, his 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 Eeyore act to to, to defend and to help. Mm. And so the audience is in, in love with him. But, yeah, I mean, you really get to flirt with him on the, you know, of whatever yeah. colour hair. Oh, my oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. was really good. You get to look at people in the audience and go, Mm. not you, (laughs)
0: maybe, I'll save you for later. Toby Schmitz versus the audience is really interesting though because um, I know that uh, occasionally you've fired off tweets during a a performance, calling them philistines, complaining about the mobile phones, even once I understand grabbing uh, an audience member's mobile phone and chucking it down the vom at Belvoir. So so (laughs) how do you balance that idea that the audience should be... Listening and, and uh, paying attention, but also they should be active and involved. Yeah.
1: I never get angrier than when I'm on stage, just something very raw and open. And I behave in ways when things don't that I don't like in a way that I wouldn't on the street. Mm. Having said that, I think people are actually quite within their rights. This, this day and age, to have the phone in their pocket on silent in case the babysitter calls. And that and comes from a certain kind of indifference to the rules of theatre, which I extrapolate to being a kind of philistinism. But if they're allowed to talk or answer the phone or... Uh, and some of these these things have been around since the birth of theatre, mm. you know, throwing oranges, sure. you know, yeah. s- slapping um, working girls on the bum in the bear pit, then... then then the actors must be allowed to do whatever it is they want to do in response. Mm. And I, I, you know, waded into the audience in the middle of Rogan Peasant Slave, an angry little soliloquy to begin with. Sure. And this grinning fool, you know, this phone <laughs> just buzzing, just glowing off his pocket. I held up my hand. He knew what was happening. He handed it to me, grinning. I threw it at the wall. It smashed. <laughs> Only just missing um, poor Anthony Phelan waiting in the vom. Um, and he stood there grinning. I nearly lost my place but didn't, you know, and I used it to fuel Am I a Cow and everything that came next. And then this is kind of incredible. Afterwards, the stage manager handed the phone back to this guy in the foyer, the pieces of it. He was still grinning had had the best night of his life and he said, does that happen every night?
0: (laughs) What, do you grab and smash a phone every night? (laughs) I
1: I still don't understand his question.
0: (laughs) But a good night was had
1: by all, seemingly (laughs) Absolutely,
0: absolutely (laughs) You and I had lots of fun working on Josh Lawson's script Shakespearealism And you directed it And I played uh, Henslow, the theatre manager, and um, and in that Josh again speculates that uh, that Shakespeare has has a uh, a younger brother called Ralph Shakespeare who's trying to introduce naturalism into the world, and and no one understands it. Pauses.
1: He wants pauses and overlaps and swearing. swearing. That's right. It's kind of David Mamet. That's right. In Elizabethan England, it's a tremendously funny play. Mm. You've got Ralph, you've got Henslow, the, the the theater manager who just wants a play on time, and two not particularly bright actors, actors who are willing oh. to just
0: go there, aren't they? Yeah, no matter. That's what.
1: right. <laughs> and and one of them is like, look, I think I can make the pause work, you know? Like, <laughs> give give me a crack at it. Uh, gosh, right. it's funny, and mm. and it's been a hit any time there's been a production of it. I was obsessed when you first did it, and and um wonderfully was given the opportunity to do, direct a sort of a benefit uh, gig version mm. of it. It continued, it, you know, like, the first people to start pausing big time wherever mm. they want. You know, mm. we're looking at, at Kemble, early 1800s, right. and people, mm. people almost rioted you know what I mean <laughs> you cannot just pause in <laughs> the middle right. of that line and he's like yeah mm. try me yeah you know yeah, what I mean yeah, yeah. and then then the, the, the pendulum swings back and you know Gielgud wouldn't mm. but then mm. then Burton splits the diff and goes I'm not emphasizing that word I'll, I'll break I'll, I don't want I don't need that comma mm. um so in a way there's the, who knows if Burbage didn't do a bit of pausing yeah yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or a bit of overlap It's a long play
0: Yeah, that's right
1: yeah,
0: no. <laughs> And I imagine, yeah. I mean, it would have rattled through, wouldn't it? I mean, there's no stopping yeah. for, for scene changes and all that sort of thing Like they had yeah. in, the, in the, the 19th century Victorian London sort of, you know, you have to yeah. stop for 20 minutes to change the scenery
1: That's right, But I think indeed. film,
0: I think the advent of film uh, allows theatre to not have to be as naturalistic To be able to be more free-flowing
1: yeah, that's right, and and it was never naturalistic in some sense to begin with, was it? Firstly, mm. there were all boys, no mm. girls on stage, no scenery, uh, and we're in medieval um, Denmark,
0: <laughs> Do yeah, you know what I mean? Right.
1: And, and there's people throwing oranges. Mm-hmm. It's kind <laughs> of like, okay, yeah. try and I, I think it'd be wise to try and inject a little bit of naturalism into that situation, <laughs> but it, but by no means, you know, has has always been there or anything. Mm. It's, art, it's artifice. You're on stage. I always think it's interesting. On stage, you train yourself not to think about it. It comes naturally. But you don't face the back. Mm. Your hips instinctively face the audience. Yep. Already, you're kind of like doing the most unnatural thing in the world. And mm. so that's only facing one direction your entire life. That's
0: right. <laughs> that's right yeah.
1: Then <laughs> take it from there. Yeah. Um,
0: as opposed to, obviously, on screen. And, Toby, you've had a lot of experience on screen as well. And I just want to... Um, mention Black Sails because your character of Rackham, the pirate, uh, you know, again, relishes language in what I would describe as a very Shakespearean way. I don't think that's an accident.
1: No. I, the character I played on Black Sails was an erudite, talky, thinking Pirate. Mm. I'm not very butch, <laughs> and it, it's an opportunity to cram quite a lot of uh, exposition into me as well. Right, right. Well, yeah, oh, yeah. Don't, don't you know if we don't get this girl, that other pirate's going to come here before the redcoats find out that we actually hid it from the Spanish to get to the blah. <laughs> you know, I can sort of can sort of do it all on one breath. So yeah. that that was happening. But but that 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 whole TV show is electri- electrically electrifyingly um, dense with mm. verbose. Characters, Mm. and that was you know set in seventeen fifteen. People did speak with larger vocabularies Mm. then. Mm. That that working class, even illiterate people, could recite reams of Mm. of poetry. Often Shakespeare. People talked different back then, and uh, my character being um, sort of witty and a fast talker, got great slabs Mm -hmm. of it. I mean, I think there's a German tourist who comes to watch Garrick do Hamlet, so mid-1700s. By this point, he notes in his diary, the audience, no matter whether they're they're hoi polloi or, or, you know, Richies, Mm. they know every soliloquy as well as the Lord's Prayer. Mm, mm, That is mm. startling about Shakespeare. That's startling about Hamlet. Mm. But it also shows that there is a period in history where our vocabularies were bigger and we were more capable of speaking in longer, stretching, arcing thoughts that had mm. colder sacks of other little thoughts in them all on one breath.
0: Now, as opposed to that, <laughs> now we have the final five where I need some very quick and short thoughts <laughs> yeah. from you, Toby, right. before yeah, yeah, we the wrap the... it up. The yeah. final five uh, five quick questions, Toby. Number one, as an actor, do you like to be the
1: lover or the villain? <laughs> oh, come on, there's all a You can't do the lover without putting a bit of a villain. You can't put a villain without another villain. Yes, okay, good. I and know, I know Forty said lover, and I just I really tried to make myself think I want I know of course the villain. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you think is your most
0: underrated Shakespeare play?
1: Coriolanus at the moment, only because I think I'm reading it. I think if I was reading something else, I'd be thinking it was that. Mm-hmm. I think it's so ripe for the times. I think it's quite incredible. And I I've started I've got so obsessed with it recently. Interesting, Toby Stevens, who played Captain Flynn, wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful classical actor, mm-hmm. um, put me onto Coriolanus and it was like Josh did with Ben. I was like, don't forget about this, man. This is for our times mm-hmm. and it really is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that one at the moment.
0: Great. Who's your favourite actor you've never worked with, Toby, who you'd love to work with? Well, you're off the list. I've struck
1: you. <laughs> you're all good. Will, can you say dead people? Yeah, go on. Will Will was Will did some acting? Yeah. If it was just yeah. just to hang out with Will Effing Shakespeare. Yeah. I'd like to play I don't know, Osric to his ghost. You know something. Brilliant. Yeah.
0: Brilliant. What's oh. your dream Shakespeare role Toby you haven't played yet? Oh,
1: Macca, both Yeah. Lady, all three, Macduff, Yeah. Um, I'm Bottom, Hotspur, mm. Juliet, Friar Lawrence. Yep. Claudio in Measure, Claudio in <laughs> in, in much... I, I don't know, Guns in My Head, deserty Island stuff, probably Iago. Yeah, right. mm. Iago, Iago. Mm.
0: Mm. And uh, finally, Toby, if you weren't oh. an actor or a writer, what would you be doing?
1: I can't remember who responded to this question with his answer. I think it was Patrick Stewart. I could be completely wrong there. But he said, in all seriousness, oh, I'd still, I'd still be an actor. And I don't mean that to sound flip. I, I mean it. If I wasn't an actor. I'd still be an actor. I, I really believe everyone is. I'm, I'm firmly on Brando's side. And if you haven't seen his interview with Dick Cavett on YouTube, do. He makes the best case for saying, no, we all are. And Cavett's like, oh, I couldn't do what you do. And, and Brando's like, yeah, yeah, you could, I promise. <laughs> really? Uh, how does he, uh, how is that? God, what, Brando does it much better, much uh, much more sexually and scarier than I, than I do it. But I always <laughs> suspected that. And it wasn't until I was thinking backstage in my 30s doing something that I watched that clip and went... I now thoroughly believe that everyone's an actor, and that as, as primary and instinctual ability in all of us as hunting and hunting and gathering and, and reproducing, mm. that the storytelling aspect right. has been there right from the beginning and that it, it c- comes in lots of different guises, of course, whether that you're just telling a white lie about what you did on Saturday night or you're genuinely working up tears to try and make the, the parking inspector not give you a fine, <laughs> uh, right, right up to winning an Oscar or, 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 or playing, playing Hamlet. It all comes from the same place for me. The instinct is there for every human being. The roles we play, all the world's a stage and so on. Toby, yeah. it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today on Speak the Speech. What a joy, Jimmy. Thank you so much. And I'm really enjoying this podcast. I have to say, this is your gig, man. You are wonderful at this. <laughs> You're mellifluous. You're modest about the fact that you know all the plays backwards, but, but you still do. You have access. You have this wonderful team here at Bell. I wish the, the podcast luck, and I, and I think it's such a great resource internationally for these times. Go for it.
0: Toby, thank you so much. You're very kind. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speak the Speech podcast through your listening platform.